You can be seated this morning. It's good to see you uh, today. I can tell after those last two Christmas uh, songs that some of you are happy it's Christmas time, right? Y'all yeah, like to sing those songs. Uh, that last one, a couple of lines in it. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Or hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness. You know, as we sang that song together, it contained elements that we want to be true. Peace on earth, it spoke about, and then the Prince of Peace. Peace is something that truly everyone longs for, because here's what I think. I don't think there's a single person who's here who's happy when there's not peace in your life, is there? I don't think so. I mean, do you really like fighting with your family over politics? No, I mean, do you really enjoy being at odds with your boss or do you get pleasure over fighting with a spouse or being at odds with your children? I mean, do you enjoy reading about fighting in Israel or in Ukraine? I mean, I could go on this morning, but I don't believe people really like to be at odds with others. And I truly believe here's how we are as people. We long for peace. And though we long for peace, everywhere we look, we see just the opposite. We find unrest at every turn. We find conflict. We find fighting of all sorts. In fact, listen to just some of the headlines from this past week, all right? Five dead, two officers injured as a result of a stabbing in New York City. U.S. Navy responds after China claims American warships illegally intruded into the South China Sea. Pro-Palestinian protesters in Philadelphia target Israeli-owned restaurant chanting accusations of genocide. Israel troops operating in all areas of Gaza targeting Hamas strongholds. Two women carjacked at gunpoint in the same area sparks warnings from Louisville police. Man stabbed at Dosker Manor Apartments, Louisville police say. Elizabethtown man indicted on strangulation and assault. Family has massive argument in the car on the way to church and sits awkwardly together during worship. Okay, that last one I did made up, all right? But all the others, all right, were true, all right? The others are true. And these and other events are things that, that have actually made the headlines, but we're aware of many conflicts, again, that didn't make it into the headlines. These headlines are a simple reminder that all around us is unrest. And because of that unrest, we long for peace, and what I want to say you to see today is because of Christmas, we can have peace. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah was a prophet of God, which meant he spoke for God and proclaimed God's message to his people. Unfortunately for the prophets, they often had to proclaim to the people a very uncomfortable message. When Isaiah was prophesying for God, it was during a difficult time in the, the nation of Israel. Israel was a divided nation with what was referred to as Israel in the north and then Judah in the south. As a nation, Israel had suffered greatly because of their rebellion against God, and the nation went often as the king went. If the king served God, the, the nation flourished. If the king failed to serve God, the nation suffered. And during this period of unrest, the nation experienced many attacks from other nations who were even often used of God as instruments of punishment. Now, specifically in Isaiah 9, uh, we see Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he has experienced the threat of Israel attacking after making uh, an alliance with Aram. Back in chapter 7, Isaiah predicted that this alliance would not stand and told Ahaz to, to be calm. God even told Ahaz to ask for a sign, ask for a sign, Ahaz, and I'll show you it's going to be okay, and Ahaz refused. Now, I, I wonder this, why would you refuse 
If God asks you to say, hey, ask me for a sign that everything's going to be okay, why would we refuse that? Would you like God to come to you and say, ask for a sign and I'll show you it's going to be okay? Every one of us, right? Well, why would we do that? I mean, Ahaz refused. Why? Because we all typically, like Ahaz, we like to be in control and we like to do our own thing. Ahaz wanted to do things his way and therefore disobeyed God in the simple request of asking for a sign. Now, I want to go ahead and give you a little word here. It doesn't go well when you try to do things on your own apart from God. Okay? Because of Ahaz's rebellion and the continued rebellion of the people, Israel and Judah would suffer greatly. However, let's keep this in mind. God is always in control. All right, And God continues to love his people in spite of their rebellion. In Isaiah 7, God even told Ahaz, okay, Ahaz, you're not going to ask for a sign? That's okay. I'm going to go ahead and give you a sign anyway. And this is what the words that were spoken in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I am sure those are words you're familiar with, though most likely you're more familiar with them when they're quoted in Matthew chapter 1. And what I want you to see is that God has a plan even if we fail to acknowledge it. We often suffer when we refuse to do what God says, but God's plans in advance for our failure and our rescue. God in Isaiah 7 was already saying, I'm going to give you a sign that I am in control. And then in chapter 8, he predicts the collapse of the alliance between Israel and Aram at the hands of the Assyrians, and he already predicted the demise of Judah by the hands of the Assyrians as well. I share this little bit of background information to help you see this, that when Isaiah is prophesying, it is really a time like ours, a time of uncertainty, a time full of strife. A time where the people were wondering about the future and were looking for relief from their enemies. They were looking for peace in their lives. Keeping this background in mind, look at how chapter 9 starts in verse 1. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Do you see what God is beginning to do here? And some, it somewhat ties back to last week's message when we have hope that things were difficult. But here's what God's beginning to say through, through Isaiah. He said, there's a day coming, all right, that's going to be different than today. That's what he's saying. Do you get that? Let's keep reading. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Do you hear in those verses the hope that God is promising? Just think about the words the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That alone should show you how God was sharing with them hope. I mean, surely you know the analogy of darkness, right? All right. When you have darkness in your life, I mean, walking in the dark is scary. Walking in the dark is difficult. Walking in the dark is full of unknowns. And so when one goes from walking in darkness to having light, you know what a joy it is, Right? I mean, think about this last week. I woke up on Tuesday morning, I think it was, and we had no electricity. And we had no electricity, we had no light. You know how fun it is to get ready in the dark? 
I was looking for everything I could find in the house. What can give me a little light, right? And so we're getting ready with whatever light we could find. And all of a sudden, the electricity came back on and the lights began to shine and great rejoicing broke out in the house, right? If that idea alone doesn't help you see the hope in this passage when it, when it says that, verse 3 it says, you have increased its joy. You should clearly get the idea that God is speaking hope in the midst of the current uncertainty. This passage is full of words of hope. And then we get to verse 5. Look at it. For every boot of the trampling war there is from God, there is a promise of peace. All right, that's what God is telling him. There is this promise. I'm telling you, there is peace coming. Now, it would be true to say that as Isaiah is writing this, these words, peace is not the norm. I've already shown you the reality is that people were experiencing just the opposite. There was strife, there was turmoil, even war all around the people. But God was speaking in the midst of all that and reminding the people that He is still in control and that He was promising peace. I think it's fair to say that there would have be great rejoicing over the thought of peace. I mean, in fact, if, if I were to tell you today that there was going to be peace in the world, I bet maybe you'd rejoice, right? Would you? Especially with what we see in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now these days. I, I mean, we always said Israel saw peace. I believe everyone rejoiced if there is a ceasefire that started and never ended. Why? Peace instead of suffering is what everyone desires. Think about what is bringing unrest in your life right now. I mean, would you be thankful for the promise of peace? I mean, if you had a promise that soon your family would start arguing, would you be happy this morning? Sure. I mean, if there is the promise that soon the internal posturing and infighting at work was going to settle down and all would be calm, would you be happy? Absolutely, right? If you knew that in 2024, that there wouldn't be any fights in Congress and that all the elected officials work together for the good of the people, would you be happy? Yes, and say, I've seen a miracle, right? That is the kind of promise that God made to Israel for peace. And it is a promise that I believe continues for us today. Now, God didn't finish with a promise, though, for he goes on to share with us that there is a person of peace. Look at verses 6 and 7, probably the most familiar to us in this passage. So look at verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, what is interesting is that as God promised this peace, he said it was going to come with the birth of a child, a son. I hope you notice in these words that it says this was to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The, the promise of peace and this promised child was a promise to God's people. This, of course, would have been a promise first to the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. However, we should understand that this promised child is for all of God's people. He is for you and he is for me. Hear this? Besides being described as a child, what we are told about this person of peace, look at this. First, the government will be up on his shoulder. What does that mean? The government will be up on his shoulder. It means this. It means the weight of the government would rest on him. One commentator said this is figuratively refers to the kingly robe to be worn by the Messiah. All right. Simply put, this child will rule. He would have authority. Think about what it says in Micah 5.2 about the promised Messiah. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, 
who coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. See, here it speaks about one who will be ruler in Israel. It is a clear prophecy about the Messiah, and it relates to the promise here in Isaiah 9, 6. In fact, let me give you a simple reminder, though, about what Jesus said as recorded in John 18. As Jesus stood before Pilate there in John 18, being questioned about whether he was the king of the Jews, this is how Jesus answered him. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. All right, keep that in mind. So this person of peace is a child and he will rule. Now, let's consider how this child, this person of peace, is described more fully. First, he's called Wonderful Counselor. This is one who gives exceptional advice. He is one who understands hurts and needs and is able to speak into those hurts and needs and give direction. It seems like in our day and time, there's a greater need ever for counselors. Well, here's the good news is that this one is the Wonderful Counselor, all right, and he has been given if we will listen to him. Second, he is the Mighty God. The person of peace is one who is strong and in control. For us, the fact that he is mighty, God reminds us that he is the one who can help us. When you're not able or strong enough on your own, he is the one who can empower you, especially, hear this, as the mighty God, he can help you live a righteous life. Third, he's the everlasting father. This title possibly reminds us that this one is in fact God, but beyond that, he is the one who cares for us eternally. More than this speaks to his divinity, it speaks about his availability and that he is the father who is always there and who always will be there. He is the father who gives us hope, the father who comforts us in all of our troubles. Then he is the prince of peace. As a prince, that means he is the ruler of peace. He is the one in charge of peace. And what we need to know is that when we give him control, there is peace. But when we try to rule in his place, peace disappears. Now, I ran through those quickly, but I hope you'll see how complete this person of peace is. He truly offers to us all that we need. Now, after we see this description of the person of peace, we're going to see this. There is the power of peace. Look at verse 7. Is this person of peace and what it means as he rules as a prince of peace explained more fully? He says, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, did you hear what it said about this Prince of Peace? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. What the Prince of Peace offers to us is not something that is temporary. It is something that is forever. In fact, his rule says it will forever increase, all right? Also notice that it will be established and upheld with justice and righteousness. What, what he does will be just and what he does will be righteous. It will be the right thing. Let's also make sure we see this last part. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This peace that is promised, this person of, who brings peace and really the power of this peace in lives will all be accomplished through the zeal of the Lord. This peace, hear me, is not something you can accomplish. You got it? You can't do it. It's not something that's based upon your power to obtain it or your power to sustain it. This peace spoken of will be accomplished by the zeal of the Lord. It, it, has something, it is something truly that God does. Now, at this point, my guess, some of you are, are saying you have a lot of questions. S some even right now might be saying, I I'm not sure what you've said, Brother Scott, so far is very helpful to me. And so let's consider this. 
All right, the focus today is our need for peace and how we achieve it. And so let's ask a few clarifying questions. Number one, what is peace? Is that a good question? I mean, what is it? We've said we wanted, but what is it? If you look the word up in an English dictionary, you'll find some slight differences, but the basic meaning listed is freedom from disturbance or tranquility. We could even say the absence of conflict. So many people, when they speak about wanting peace, they just want things calm and they want people to get along. But let's understand something. In the original Hebrew language of Isaiah, the word peace used here is shalom. Y'all have heard that word before, right? In all specs of life, physical, emotional, and about harmony, which means between you and God, between you and others. It meant a life lived without guilt and shame. Third, he said it meant fulfillment. It means prosperity and success. It's the idea that you've discovered God's design for your life and you are living it out. You're fulfilling God's plan for you. And four, victory over enemies. This would include victory even over the enemies of death, and the evil one. So here, when you read about the Prince of Peace, you're talking about this one who brings the overall sense of well-being and harmony in all aspects of life, not just the absence of conflict, because you do know that you can have the absence of conflict and not have peace, right? Some of y'all are married today, right? You ever had an argument in your home? Don't raise your hand, right? But my guess is if you ever have an argument, maybe you reach that point where you say, we're just tired of arguing, and so we just stop talking, right? And so then there's silence in the house. There's no conflict going on, but you tell me, is there peace? No, 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 right? So just the absence of conflict does not mean we have peace, all right? Again, things may be quiet, but things are still not well. I hope you see the difference, all right? The absence of conflict does not necessarily equal peace, The peace that Isaiah is speaking about, the peace that God wants us to have is more than just the absence of conflict. He wants us to have an overall well-being. Now, I I don't know what that says to you, but here's what I know. There becomes, when I hear that understanding of, of peace, when I hear that understanding of shalom, I want that kind of peace in my life. Do you? That's what I want. And so considering the truth of shalom, that this deeper meaning is what peace is, let's ask this question, well, how do I get it? You must, hear me, recognize the person of peace and who he is. I know I've been a little vague in referring to this person of peace, though many of you already know, but listen to what we read in Luke 2 about the birth of Jesus. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here's what a person who wants true peace needs to understand. That Jesus is the prince of peace and true peace can only be found in him. You will not find peace in your life or the life to come apart from Jesus. He is the one in whom peace is found. This is true in part because he gives us the most important peace we need. He gives us peace with God. In fact, listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. If we were to continue reading in that passage, what is very clear is that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, sin separates us, a person from God, so that we need to be reconciled. 
There's no greater need for anyone than to be made right with his or her creator. And so for there to ever be peace in a person's life, that person needs to be reconciled to God. And the only means of reconciling with God is through Jesus, the one who came as that little child, a baby born in a manger, who came though to be the savior of the world. Jesus himself is our peace, according to Ephesians 2. And when you have Jesus, you ultimately have the only peace you need. You have peace with God. Now, even though this is true, we long for peace in its fullest. Many people would say that they've been reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ, but their life still is full of turmoil. If that is so, there can be an explanation for this lack of peace. For hear me when I say this, to experience God's peace fully, you have to let Jesus have control of your life. Let's go back to Isaiah 9, 6 for a second. And consider the title given to Jesus there of Prince of Peace. I mean, what if we run into a little problem here and that people have an issue with Jesus being seen as a ruler in their lives. We each battle because we long to be our own king or queen, right? Now, if we recognize that God is the king, then we would say we want to be our own prince or princess, Right? Because we want to have our, our measure of control. We might even say, oh, I recognize God's king, but still, I want to be that prince or princess, and I want to call my own shots, all right? We, we want to rule our own life. We, we want people to listen to us. We, we simply want to rule for ourselves. The issue is we cannot do it on our own. You cannot usher peace into your life apart from God. Therefore, the amount of peace you experience in life will most likely be directly tied to how much control you give Jesus in your life. You see, the areas of your life where you try to call the shots, where you do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do, there will not be any lasting peace at all. On the other hand, those areas that you give over to Jesus and say to him, you take control as the prince of peace, you can discover that God can give you peace in those areas, even when there might still be some conflict. You hear me? Think about what Jesus said in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, you may not experience peace in the way you are thinking, but you can be assured that when you let Jesus be your prince of peace, you will discover peace, true peace. You will discover shalom. Now, some of you are going to ask the question, is Jesus really the prince of peace? Because if so, here's what I'm wondering. Where's the peace today? I mean, if he is the Prince of Peace, why is there not peace in the world? And why is that not not, not more peace in my life? Let me remind you that the peace spoken of in Isaiah 9 was shalom, which meant a complete, all-encompassing peace. And when Jesus walked upon the earth, you know what he did? Here's what he did. Jesus demonstrated what shalom looked like. Okay? Let me tell you how. When it comes to the health and physical well-being aspect, Jesus told the lame man to get up and walk, and he did. He gave sight back to the blind man. He solved the woman's issue with blood and much more. Jesus demonstrated that he could bring the wholeness, that peace that we long for even in our bodies. When it comes to the harmony aspect between God and others, he looked at several people and he said to them, your sins are forgiven. He helped people experience forgiveness and restoration with God. He even taught his disciples to love his enemies and to forgive without limit, working to help bring harmony between people, calling them to peace. When it comes to fulfillment, Jesus gave his disciples purpose when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And last month we saw his invitation to drink and find living water, or even as Brother Jonah shared, to walk on the water doing more with him than we could ever imagine to do on our own. 
Then when it comes to victory over enemies, Jesus cast out demons. He demonstrated victory over death when he brought Lazarus out of the tomb. Then, of course, he himself walked out of the tomb after three days. Jesus demonstrated when he walked upon the earth that he was capable of giving shalom. He is capable of giving perfect peace. But if you remember, when Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, as he rode in on a donkey, here's how it reads in Luke 19. And they brought, in, brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, with all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And we see Jesus riding in Jerusalem on a colt. A young and untrained donkey, this was a symbol of humility and peace. Conquering kings would normally enter a city on horses to display power and to declare war or victory. Jesus' choice of a cult conveyed a message of peace and gentleness. And what Jesus did there was offer peace, hear me, he offered peace without forcing peace. And do you know what they did to the Prince of Peace? What did they do? Did they accept him as a prince of peace when he rolled in on that coat? Did they? <laughs> no. What did they do? They crucified him. Compared to this, how Jesus will come again. In Revelation, we see the foretelling of Jesus' second coming. And makes war. I want you to notice when he comes the second time, he will come judging in righteousness because that ties back to Isaiah 9, 7 where it reads, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the peace that Jesus offered is based upon his righteousness. And when Jesus comes the second time, that is when perfect peace will be experienced, Okay. The word peace is not used, but look at how things will be after Jesus comes again in Revelation 21, verse 3. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Look at this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If you want a picture of perfect peace, that's it, amen? True shalom, that is what we will see in Revelation after Jesus comes again. So here's where this leads us. We are at a time where when Jesus came the first time, demonstrated that he could bring shalom and peace, and between when he comes again to truly bring perfect shalom to us. We're in that in-between time. So if you want to know where the peace is then today, here's what you need to hear. You ready? It has been entrusted to those who believe. Y'all still with me this morning? Okay. Those who believe in Jesus should have his peace. These, those who trust in Jesus should be the instruments of peace. Those who trust in Jesus should demonstrate what it means to live in peace. When Jesus came the first time, hear me, he did not force peace upon us. Remember when he entered into Jerusalem, humbly riding that coat, he was offering peace then and he offers peace now, but he will not force peace upon us. Therefore, if you want to experience peace now, number one, you need to catch this. You find your peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ.